the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I think the best way to approach this, to to answer this from Scripture, is to, by a process of elimination, see what Paul does not mean. What does he not mean by teaching us to separate from unbelievers? Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. There's a wide spectrum of opinions on the topic of separating ourselves from unbelievers. Quite often, it seems like those opinions are based more on personal preference than on biblical instruction. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff begins a new series of studies about spiritual separation. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We'll be studying mainly from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, but we'll also consider other passages that shed light on the subject. Let's put on our thinking hats now and see if we can solidify our understanding of the Bible's teachings about spiritual separation. Here's Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we are going to read a passage of Scripture that has one unit of thought, but we will just begin to get into it this morning. We'll not cover the whole thing. It's just too, too extensive. But beginning at verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial is another name for Satan. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be Sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilements of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. These verses contain perhaps the most well-known statement in all of 2 Corinthians. If you were to ask somebody of of this entire book of 2 Corinthians, what is the one phrase that, that you know and stands out? It would be the command do not be bound together with unbelievers. And perhaps it's more familiar to you in the King James language, which says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And if you ask most Christians what this command means, I'm convinced that most would say that it is a reference to a believer in Christ not marrying or being forbidden to marry an unbeliever. And I think that's a legitimate application of this command, but if you'll notice the passage we read Paul states nothing directly about marriage. It's really not dealing with with marriage. So the question is, what is this passage about? Well, we know that it has something to do with separation from the unsaved. Christians prohibited from forming 
Certain alliances with non-Christians, that's evident from the statement at the beginning of verse 14, do not be bound with unbelievers. So we know it has something to do with a uh, binding relationship between believer and an unbeliever. That's just self-evident. But beyond the obvious, beyond the obvious point, what are these verses about? This is a passage that has puzzled many Christians, and I'll tell you why. The reason they've been so puzzled is is because the entire passage just seems out of place with the rest of the book. It just doesn't really flow. At least that's how people think this passage uh, relates. It just doesn't seem to flow and fit into the rest of, of the letter. Now, you remember from our study last week, Paul, beginning at verse 11, continuing through verse 13, uh, opens his heart to the Corinthians and tells them how much he loves them and how he longed for them to return that love to him. Let me read it to you and refresh your your thinking. Verse 11, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. This is a very emotional appeal. Paul is being very vulnerable here. He is being very transparent. He is saying, I love you. Uh, I have you in my heart. I have room for you, but you don't have room for me in your heart. You've crowded me out. You've squeezed me out. And I appeal to you to open your heart to me. That's a very emotional appeal. But it's very interesting. From this emotional appeal to open their hearts to him, Paul launches into the subject of separation from unbelievers. And people look at this and say, it it doesn't seem to fit. There doesn't seem to be a connection or, or a link between these verses. In fact, this passage seems so out of place that just about every liberal Bible scholar interprets this by saying Paul didn't write this portion of 2 Corinthians. It was written by somebody else, and then later it was inserted into the letter and made to appear like Paul wrote it. That's that's how they would handle this. But in coming to that conclusion, they've missed the whole point. There is a connection. There is a flow. They've completely missed the point of the verses, because there is a very definite connection between what precedes this passage and what follows this passage. Now, let me just show you what I mean. Remember, we just said that what precedes this passage is Paul making an emotional appeal to the Corinthians to love him as he has loved them. Notice verse 2 of chapter 7. He says, make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Notice that is basically the same thing, a little bit different, but the same uh, thing that he said in chapter 6. It's no different. He said, I love you. Open your hearts to me. Then he dealt with separation from unbelievers and comes right back to and says, "I, I love you and I want you to open your hearts to me. So these verses pick up right where verse 13 left off. Now watch this. Here's the point. Sandwiched in between these two appeals to love Paul, the apostle explains why these people were withholding their love from him. This is the connection. And the reason is because they had given their hearts to rival suitors. Didn't have room in their hearts for Paul because their hearts belonged to someone else. False teachers as well as Gentile idolaters, had stolen the affection of the Corinthians away from Paul, away from the truth of the gospel. 
They had already given their, their love, their, their loyalty to rival suitors. And consequently, they found that their hearts were cold towards Paul and cold towards the truths of Scripture. I'd like you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we've read this before, but let me just remind you. We haven't studied this yet, but let me just remind you what was taking place at Corinth. In chapter 11, beginning of verse 2, Paul says, since he's the one who introduced them to Christ, he said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul said, look, I I led you to Christ. I introduced you to the one you're, you're married to. And this one you're married to wants you to be a pure virgin, not fooling around with anybody else, but you are fooling around. You are, you are being seduced. Just as Eve was deceived by, by Satan, you are being deceived by false teachers who have, who have drawn you away from purity and, and simple godly devotion to Christ. And, and he, they've drawn you away to error. In fact, who are these people? Look at verse 13 of chapter 11, he writes, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. These men who had the audacity to say that Paul was a false apostle were in themselves false apostles. And we've gained more insight about this in verse 22 of chapter 11. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I, which would indicate that these were Jewish men who were teaching some type of a legalistic Judaism, a a legalistic, Judaistic Christianity. And that's why in chapter three, Paul makes a contrast between the old Mosaic law, the old covenants and the new covenants of the gospel of grace. That's what was going on here. These men had been spiritually uh, seducing the Corinthians They were false apostles, and they were introducing them to a form of of legalistic Jewish Christianity that led believers away from pure devotion to Christ and the simplicity of the gospel of grace. And in moving away from Christ, they, they just had distanced themselves from Christ's greatest ambassador, the Apostle Paul, and the truths that Paul taught. You see, by loving the false religious thinking that they were introduced to, by these false apostles, they had waned in their, in their love for Paul and love for the, for the truth of the word of God. But I want you to know it was not only false Jewish apostles who had won the hearts of the Corinthians. Notice chapter 6 as we go back. Notice verse 16. Paul writes, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now he introduces the thought of idolatry here. This would not be true of, of Jewish men. Not even false apostles, not not back in in the days of the uh, era of the New Testament. This this would not pertain to uh, to anyone who is Jewish. This has to pertain then to to Gentile pagan idolatry. That was in the church. That was affecting the church. And we know from First Corinthians that this church was constantly threatened by the idolatry surrounding them. Let's go back to First Corinthians, and you might want to keep a bookmark there because we'll be going back and. And forth, but in First Corinthians chapter ten, I want you to see how Paul, how often he mentions idolatry. The only reason he would mention this is because they were threatened by it, and indeed were involved in it. He says in First Corinthians ten, 
Verse 7, do not be idolaters, as some of them were. Who's the them he's referring to? He's referring to the Jewish people in the Old Testament who uh, wandered around the desert with Moses for 40 years. They uh, they got back, went back into idolatry, the idolatry they had picked up from, from Egypt. He says, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. This this wasn't just natural merriment. This was idolatry. Notice verse 14 of the same chapter. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Get away from it. It's making an impact on you. And notice verse 20, same chapter. Now I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to become sharers in demons. What is he talking about? Behind every false religion is Satan. We might look at idols and say, but but it's only a piece of wood or it's only a, a piece of metal. There's really nothing to an idol. So what's the big deal? That's true in that sense. There is nothing to an idol, except what happens is that demons come behind those idols and uh, they are the ones who, that, that's why there's miraculous things going on in false religion. It's because idolatry is hooked up with Satan. A demon is behind that. And so Paul says, I, I don't want you to be involved in any of that stuff. They sacrifice things to idols, but I want you to know it's really demonic. It isn't just man-made religion. It is demon-inspired. Now, you should understand this, and we've not stressed this in 2 Corinthians because it comes out more in 1 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians reveals very clearly that the Corinthian uh, city and, and the church was threatened by this was a horribly idolatrous place. The whole culture was built around paganism. You, everything in, was involved. It wasn't that they separated religion from government, religion from social life. It was all tied in together, and it was quite immoral. There was a hill in, in Corinth, which they had a major temple, the temple of the city, and uh, they had sacred prostitutes who were involved in, in fact, they were the, the very heart of their idolatrous worship. And so it was a quite, quite immoral place. In fact, in the ancient world, there was a term coined to express sexual immorality, especially with these temple prostitutes. It was called to Corinthianize. That's the label that even the pagan world gave to uh, what was going on in Corinth. And so you had people who came to faith in Christ, but they had a very difficult time distancing themselves from their pagan friends and, and their loved ones and relatives. And we can certainly well understand that. Certainly well understand that. And so what they would do, they would still be involved in idolatry. They had a difficult time having a clean break. As I told you, the whole social structure was, was centered around that. In fact, they were very different than the Thessalonians who Paul said, you turn to to God, you turned away from idols, and you turned to the living and true God. The Corinthians turned away from idols to the living and true God, and yet went back to idols and tried to keep uh, both, tried to keep themselves in both worlds, the world of idolatry as well as the world of Christianity. And that was really what was going on. It was a horrible, horrible situation. It was a horrible church, by the way. It's always interesting to me that if you speak to those in the charismatic movement, they will they will inevitably come back to the church at Corinth as their model. That is the worst church. The whole first letter is about correction. There's nothing good, hardly anything good that Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians. It was a, it was a horrible, horrible church. That's what was going on here. So having just urged the Corinthians to find room in their hearts to love him, Paul now proceeds to tell them why they didn't love him. 
And, and how they could love him and return to him in love. And it's all centered around the command, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, the question is, what exactly does Paul mean by this? You know what it says, but what does he mean? It's important that we, we all understand this because to miss this is to not only miss the point of the passage, but it's to open up all kinds of twisted meanings. We want to understand this. And because many Christians have not understood this, there's been so much disobedience to God in this area of biblical separation. When Paul writes, do not be bound together with unbelievers, he is referring very clearly to an Old Testament concept of placing two distinct animals under the same yoke or under the same harness to work side by side. This is very clear from Deuteronomy 22, verse 10. Let me read this to you. And this is, this is what he's referring to. He goes back to the law and pulls this principle out. He says in, it says in Deuteronomy 22, verse 10, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. That would be unequally yoked. Don't take an ox and a donkey and put them under the same double harness or the same yoke. See, according to the law of Moses, an ox, the animal of an ox was a clean animal, a, a kosher animal, if you will. But a donkey was an unclean animal, a, a non-kosher animal. Therefore, it would be very wrong to yoke them together to have them work in a double harness. Because why? They were so distinct. They were so different, so unlike each other, they couldn't possibly work well together. It just wouldn't work out. They had different physical characteristics, different instincts, different makeups and temperaments and, and natures, and all that made for an impossible working situation. So it was forbidden to put them together. They, they couldn't accomplish anything. They wouldn't walk in a straight line for the farmer. It'd be chaos. Paul takes this Old Testament principle of, of the absolute absurdity of animals with different natures being yoked together, and he applies it to believers being joined together in an, in an alliance with unbelievers. In other words, just as you wouldn't think of pairing an ox and a donkey together because of their differences, so believers and unbelievers shouldn't be bound together either because they're so different. That, that's his point. But there's another question we need to ask, and it's this. What type of binding relationship are you referring to, Paul? What, what are you referring to? Does this mean you can only use a Christian doctor? Does it mean if you're looking for a Christian realtor or a realtor, you have to go to a Christian? Does it mean that if you need a, an attorney, you must go to a believing attorney? Does this mean that, that you can't play uh, softball with unbelievers, can't can bowl with unbelievers, can't do any kind of sporting event with unbelievers? Does it mean that if you have stocks, you can't have mutual funds because you might have it with unbelievers? Now, that hit a nerve, didn't it? The early service, that didn't hit a nerve. But that's a valid question. What is Paul referring to? How far do you take this? And I think the best way to approach this, to, to answer this from Scripture, is to, by a process of elimination, see what Paul does not mean. What does he not mean by teaching us to separate from unbelievers? And I guess the best place to begin is go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a very, very uh, important passage of Scripture and one that gives light to what we're dealing with today. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, notice verse 9. He writes to them, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now, you should know that before 
1 Corinthians, there was another letter, and this is what he's referring to. He wrote another letter to the Corinthians. We don't have that letter. God in his sovereign providence kept it out of the canon of scripture. It's lost. We don't have it. We don't know uh, exactly what he said, but we do know one thing he said. We don't know all, but we know that he wrote to them in that previous letter and said, don't associate with immoral people. And they may have misunderstood that because he clarifies it here. He said, I, in verse 10, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. What Paul is saying is, you, you, I don't think you understood what I meant. I meant that if there's a, a brother or a sister in your church assembly who's acting in an immoral way, you have to approach them in discipline. If they don't repent, you have to discipline them. That's who I'm referring to. You don't have fellowship with, with someone who claims to know Christ but won't repent of immorality or any of these other sins that he's talking about. He said, I, I don't mean the world. If that was the case, you'd have to get out of the world. I don't mean unbelievers. Folks, we expect that from unbelievers. You find a moral unbeliever, put them in a cage. They are unique. They're rare. He's not talking about that. He's not. The Bible does not teach a monastic kind of life. And in the Middle Ages, that's how this was interpreted. That's what they thought about separation. Just go off in some, some wilderness place and, and don't have any kind of social contact with anyone else. That's not what the Bible teaches. Paul said if you were to do that, you have to get out of this world. We're supposed to be in the world. He says in verse 11, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. You don't have any kind of spiritual fellowship. And of course, eating was not just a meal then, there was a spiritual fellowship. It probably means having the Lord's Supper with them. Verse 12, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? He means those outside the church, those who are unbelievers. Paul said, that that's not my business. I don't have anything to do with, with them in the sense of telling them how to live. Do you not judge those who are within the church? Sure, you discipline those in the church, but not outside the church. But those who are outside, God judges. God will deal with them. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. He's talking about a specific incident there in which a, a man was having immoral relations with someone who was his stepmother. He said, that's the one you got to deal with. But, but I'm not talking about that you separate yourselves from, from unbelievers. Listen, we are to be with unbelievers. You don't want to twist this scripture is to mean that Paul is teaching us not to be have any relationship with unbelievers. Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer of John 17, verse 15, he said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Father, he said, I want you to keep these here, my, my followers here in the world. Don't take them out of the world. Just protect them from, from Satan. And that's how Jesus lived. You know, one of the greatest compliments Jesus ever got was the Pharisees said that he, uh, he was accused of being a friend of sinners, a glutton and a drunkard. Now, he wasn't a glutton, he wasn't a drunkard, but they associated him with that. Why? Because he spent time with, with people who were unsaved. How are you going to try to build a relationship to lead them to Christ if you don't have social interaction with them? Have you ever wondered why we don't just go straight to heaven when we get saved? If we were meant to just hang out with other believers, well, we could do that in heaven. But we're here for a purpose, and that is to share the good news with unbelievers. Paul rhetorically asked the Roman church, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. At the website, you can find our entire library of previous broadcasts and download anything that interests you at no charge. There's also a giving page if you'd like to help fund these broadcasts. We praise the Lord for His generous people who make these radio Bible classes possible. In this first program in Pastor Steve's series on spiritual separation, we've been considering what Paul did not mean by separation. If he didn't mean that we are to go live in convents and monasteries, and if he didn't mean that we are not to do what Jesus did and eat with sinners, well, what did he mean? This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to join us again for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve continues to show us the overall context of Paul's instructions so we can see how to apply them in our own situations. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.